Uh, I'm reading, this is a lengthy reading today, but I'm reading from Acts, uh, starting with chapter 5. The apostles performed many miracles and signs among the people, and all the believers used, used to meet in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamil a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put aside for a little while. Then he addressed them. 
Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day by day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Christ. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it's called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces, provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. 
dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. The apostles perform many miracles and signs. I think I got mixed up here. Excuse me. Oh, okay. (laughs) Thanks. And Saul was there, giving approval of his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. May God add a blessing to his word and let it fill your hearts with um, thanksgiving and joy. Amen. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, thank you, Ms. Brown. Um, Ms. Brown is also our children's uh, church, one of our children's church leaders. So children, you're dismissed with Ms. Brown to children's church. Um, Thank you, Ms. Brown, for reading the scripture. I think that's the most we've read so far this year. She did a good job. And... um, Again, when you do a um, narrative like the book of Acts, it's so important uh, to get the whole context of the story. So we sit in here and we read, because after church I tell y'all to go home and read, and y'all don't go home and read. So we're going to read in here as long as y'all continue to be disobedient. I need to add one more uh, part to the reading here, believe it or not, Um, and that's in chapter 4. It says, as they were speaking, that's Peter and John, to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. We read this last week. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead. Again, like Pastor Giorgio says, this is the most dressed up you're going to see us. I do own pants. I don't just have jeans. And I learned to tie a bow tie yesterday from YouTube. (laughs) And I did it by myself this morning. So yesterday I learned and this morning I did it. 
Um, Kelly was like, don't, don't hold your neck like you have a neck brace on. It's hard. Um, but as we hopefully will see in this message, um, I think it's fitting to some degree that many of us dress up for Easter. We dress up our gardens. We do special things because we're commemorating something but not just that, we're looking forward to something. As we continue in our sermon series in Acts, we are going to focus on what we saw as the beginning church's message and mission and their Messiah. And it fits in well with this day in Christendom, again, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, Easter, Resurrection Sunday. But when we celebrate it, we recognize ironically, the living death of Jesus Christ. That what Christ accomplished by his death on the cross is alive and happening and working today. That the message of Christ's death is alive. That the mission of Christ's death is alive. And finally, that the majesty of the risen Lord is alive. Message, mission, majesty. It is the first century A.D. in Acts here. And picking up on last week, Peter and John have been arrested by the religious leaders. The verse I just read. And the religious leaders including, included the Pharisees, the, the holier-than-thou leaders, the, the holy men, the orthodox guys, the Sadducees, which were the rich, governmentally, governmental and socially savvy, didn't believe in a resurrection, religious leaders. Then you had the high priest, the leaders of the, the, the Jewish faith, and then the various elders and rulers and leaders and, and biblical PhD types along with them. This Christianity thing had gotten too big for itself. First 3,000, now 5,000 coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter and John get re-arrested led out of jail by an angel, go preaching again, and then get arrested again, harassed, beat, and then let go. And then we learn about Stephen, who could hang with the best when it came to proving Jesus was the Messiah. He is not the brother you want to meet in the barbershop or the coffee shop. He preaches a toe-stepping on, get-under-the-skin message to the Jews and ends up getting gang-rushed and, and stoned by the religious leaders and their people, their followers. Folks were getting upset, not just about Jesus, whom they believed they had handled and his silly followers by crucifying him, but now by the continuing, keeps on coming message of Christ's death on the cross. The religious leaders just wanted to let bygones be bygones, but his followers kept bringing it up, this death on the cross, sinner's thing, and it was making the leaders especially real nervous. The feeling the leaders got back in the day makes sense. If we look at this group of people that are gathered, they, they were afraid of being guilty sinners who, who killed Jesus and more so that the number of Christians against them was, was growing. If we look at verse 4 that I just read, it says in chapter 4, verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed in the number of men came to about 5,000. 
This number is just not, hey, look how fast Christianity is growing for Christians to, to relish in. This number is saying to the leaders who, who were opposed to Jesus, this is getting to be a mess. They were afraid and threatened that these people would turn on them and turn them out. But on top of that, the Bible says later in our reading that they were jealous But Peter and John nailed it in verse 27 through 33 in verse in chapter 5. And when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend what? To bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And and God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, the Bible says, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Bottom line, their fear and jealousy and pride was about being made to feel and stand guilty before not only the people, but God. Good Friday reveals something to us that we don't want to see. Like last week, our sin has martyred God. Our sin... Yes, yours and mine has had murderous results on the Lord. Our sins, our lack of belief, our wanting to do things our way, our walking apart from the Lord, our pride and arrogance of having it all figured out for ourselves, our fears of of no longer being in charge of our own lives, all say crucify him. But... But for those of us who, who cry out for relief, who feel oppressed by a sinful and, and, and deadening world, that when you and I, those who look for relief, cry for, cry for help and healing, do you not know we also cry for the blood and guiltiness and pain we experience to fall on Jesus? But in their pride, in their fear, In their jealousy and guilt, the leaders missed the message that would have and was sent to free them. In the next sentence, it says what? After he says that you hanged, hung Jesus on a tree, that he was sent for repentance, for you to be forgiven. That his death was for the forgiveness of pride and fear and jealousy and sin to lift the punishment and guilt off those who follow him. When that happens, you can let someone own your sins. You can actually exchange your guilt and your load of fears and hurts and let Jesus bear it. And then you can take on his forgiveness and its freedom at his expense. That is what these disciples were saying. That is the message of Christianity. The message of Christ's death is alive in the gospel. Let me make something clear about Christianity once and for all. I'm sorry for the way it has been presented in the past. 
for some of us. Contrary to much popular belief, it is not a guilt trip. You're already guilty. It is not a guilt trip. It is a guilt strip. Stripping us of our guilty standing before God and letting Christ take the guilt for us. And when we believe that, then we will stop living so violently and fearfully in and about this life, afraid of not having or being enough, no longer being afraid of being empty or wrong or or having your fences down or or having to take your fake holier-than-thou mask off, no longer afraid that people will see the scars and tattoos of sin on your lives. But those scars of sin will tell a story of God's love for you. The message of Christ is that it is finally okay to not be okay. It is no longer wrong to be wrong. It is all right to not be right on your own. It is fine not to be fine. It is safe to admit and confess you're insecure. It is loud and clear that no secret or whisper or shame or lie that keeps your life in darkness can hold you out of the light. Why? Because the message of Christ's death is alive for sinners. And that message becomes the mission that will never die. Look at chapter 5 with me again. Remember, they hear this message and they want to kill him. The Bible says in verse 34 in chapter 5, a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before the days, before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. I like the way they put that. He thought he was somebody. He was listening to Jesse a little too hard. He took it to the next level. And a number of men, about 400, it says, joined him. He had a crew. He was killed and I'm sorry, I'm doing the Howard Brown abridged version of the Bible. Excuse me for a minute. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and it came to nothing. It was a fad. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if the plan or this undertaking is of, a, is of man, it will fail. But it, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, throw them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called them the apostles, they beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the present council rejoicing that they're counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I hate that missionary style has been caricatured as something conventional, something boring. I'm going to stop right there. Because according to the Bible and the book of Acts and our reading, Missionary style is a never die. And even if we die attitude of experiencing 
and living the gospel in this world. When we look at Acts, it shows us these these regular people like you and me, the the first missionaries of the gospel, because they weren't all apostles. If we look after Peter was stoning, it says that people, that's regular people scattered and kept preaching. When I look at these apostles, the people who followed Jesus, these are the most die hard. Let me say this, hard headed against the status quo group of people in the world. And that doesn't and shouldn't just describe these people in the Bible because there's no Bible superheroes. It is the people. Yeah, like you and me right here in this room who are believers, we are not dead in our faith. It is not dead within us because what Jesus has done lives and will live through and in us in this world. Gamaliel, the teacher of the law in verse 34 was correct. If these missionaries... Peter and John, the rest of the apostles, these believers in Jesus are just following a dead man, they will stop. But if Jesus is Lord, we are in trouble for opposing because they will never stop. Then following that speech by Gamaliel, the Bible says that Peter and John were beat and that they rejoiced being treated badly for the sake of the gospel. The world was against them. And they in trying to win the world for something good for it, that, that they just wouldn't die or be, be beat back or stop believing that like Stephen, even in the face of death, their mouths and lies would not shut down and shut up about the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite movies series is Rocky. I never forget this line in Rocky 2. In Rocky 1, you know, The the champ wanted to fight somebody and nobody, you know, no big deal. Let's just pick some Italian cat. Oh, Sylvester Stallone's character. Let's pick this Rocky guy, you know, as a benefit to show that we care about the low people. Give him a shot at the title. Goes 15 rounds. He wins, but goes 15 rounds like, man, we weren't expecting this. We thought this thing would be over in two rounds. Rocky, too, he's like, look, I don't like the way that turned out. I'm going to fight him again to prove I really can knock him out. And I remember his trainer, Tony, coming to him and say, look, man, Apollo, leave that man alone. He said, you beat that man almost to his death, and the man kept coming. He said, we don't need that kind of man. He kept coming. Leave him Alone, that is a dangerous man. But why? <laughs> these, believes in, these believers in Jesus are dangerous because they keep coming. They have been infiltrated and diseased by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Look with me at verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And they say that because they're like, we won't listen to you. We have to obey God anyway. Not given. It is an interesting term. Peter and John have been given brain damage, man. Something wrong with them. 
Because these people against them, historically, are the same people who managed to have Jesus killed. Now, I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I would say don't mess with these council folk. But Peter and John are living in a place beyond smart. They are lit. They are intense. They are on fire. They are, along with all believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they walk with a new ability to be hard-headed, to do what God wants. The word for witnesses here is martyr. What this means is that believers are life givers. They give their lives for the truth we believe in. We give our bodies and, and all we are to this truth we proclaim. We are walking and talking dead and until we die about Jesus Christ. Now, I've said this before. Y'all know I like zombie and vampire movies. There's a good psychology, there's a spiritual element to it. Y'all just ain't deep enough to go there. You can learn something. You got to watch it with me. I can, I, can, I can walk you through. But I like that TV series, The Walking Dead. You know, you just get bitten. But it's more than that, right? Just getting bitten. Because when somebody gets bitten, they, they live after death. They like the walking dead. Imagine that. They just keep coming, right? You can chop the arm off. They're going to keep coming. Chop the leg. They're going to crawl on the ground. This, I'm watching that show time. Somebody just laying on the ground. Oh, glad that fight was over. Here comes one. No legs, man. Give up. He got no legs. But he don't care. He's dead. He's walking, crawling dead. You have to hit him in the head, man. But what if the head lives in heaven? Believers are the body of a movement of the living Christ whose head is Christ, and he can't be taken. When I say missionary believer... Therefore, I am talking about anyone who's diseased and thus driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's funny. I was hearing the, the Lord's Supper uh, stuff from Matthew, and he says, eat my body and drink my blood. I mean, think about that. We don't say that a lot when we talk about eat my body and drink my blood. And if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you ain't a part of me. What? It's not kind of cannibalistic to me. Kind of NC-17 Bible horror to me. But it makes sense because what the Lord's Supper is saying when he says, eat my body and drink my blood, they, believers, are not bitten. They have eaten and consumed what the grace that Jesus has to offer. And it lives in them. They have the strain in them, right? The, the gospel virus, a, a living virus that controls them. The Holy Spirit, that's anyone and everyone who has been affected and infected by the living word and message and grace of Jesus Christ and thus filled with the Holy Spirit. People of God are a raw reality of God at work. We are carriers of a message that will make those dead in sin, deadened by sin, come back to life and start walking in new life again. My advice to you believers is simply this. Now, if you're in a believer, I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking to y'all. Don't fight it. Jesus is real. 
The Holy Spirit in you is for real. That thing possibly calling and making you thirsty and making you want to join in sometimes to say hallelujah. The thing that makes you hunger for deeper and stronger or for the first time faith in Jesus, like Gamaliel said, will not stop in you. And you will not stop it. It will give glory and speak and praise and give honor to Christ and what he has done, even if God has to break your life apart to keep the strain of the gospel alive in your body, he will do it. It lives. So give in and give it. See your life and your calling wherever and however it is in this world as a carrier. You are diseased, man. You got it. The living viral love of God's grace is in your heart if you confess and profess that name. And I hope, no, no, I know that it is alive to sicken and poison what is evil and harmful and bring life to what is dead. Let me tell you about the jump off, though. This is a jump off right here. Jermaine, I don't know if you jump out of planes with the army, but there's a jump off. There's a time you've been training and talking about it, and you get up there, go. And everybody looking at you. You got to go. Remember I was in California, and they had, the, you know, I was hanging out with some different folk, different culture of folk. And it got to me. I was out there with cut-off jeans, no shirt, with a big cane in my hand. They even walking around with no shoes on. What was wrong with me? My mama saw me. I think we got rid of those pictures. I was with a different culture of folk, y'all. These is Northern California eating tree bark folk. I don't know. But they got to me. And I found my swamp running Charleston self on this high rock, jumping down into the stream. And they're like, come on, you can do it. We've all done it. I did it. I'm all right. I ain't doing it again, but I'm all right. Let me tell you about the jump off. The Bible says that earlier that Peter and John were in prison for speaking about Jesus, and then the doors of the prison were opened by an angel sent from God and opened it for what reason? So that people... For what reason? So that they could go free to preach. Now get this. Earlier in the Bible, um, in, in, in chapter 4, verses 12 through 6. No, verses chapter 5. I have four verses I'm working with, four chapters. Chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders are regularly done by the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Now hear this. And more than ever, believers were added to the number, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This tells us that people would just lay people who were sick so that even if their shadows fell on, they would be healed. Now back to something people, Peter said to go deeper in. Chapter 5, verse 32. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who 
obey him. The Holy Spirit is witnessing, which means he's providing the parachute, y'all. The signs and wonders to accompany and validate the witnesses of the gospel for those who jump off. Even if it is at their death and rejection and beating, there is still a validation when you jump off. We must take our jump. (laughs) If you are a believer, something, no someone is alive in you. I don't talk about this or talk in this way a lot, but I know we live as afraid that we will get out there and get embarrassed or harassed about our faith, about our diseased. That's how it looks now, Christianity, about your diseased worldview and small-mindedness and beliefs about Jesus. So we tend to hold them to ourselves and let them sort of just melt into the mainstream. I'm not talking about not ministering in the mainstream. I'm talking about letting your belief just sort of melt into the mainstream. You know why we do that? We don't want people to be able to tell that we are diseased, walking dead folk for Jesus. People don't want to be around zombies. Christians are like zombies. Because their heart's only set on one thing. Or it should be. Now, I'm not talking about manner, that you have to bring the big Bible to work. Bigger than the Tupperware. Coming into the break room. With your Christian shirt. I used to have one when I was one of those Christian fanatics. Everybody kind of go through the Christian fanatic phase. Then you realize it don't make you no righteous. Christian fanatic phase, still doing the wrong thing. You can still take off that T-shirt and do something wrong. T-shirt don't mean nothing. Right? T-shirt. If you don't believe in Jesus on the back, you will die in hell. What? Talk to me about the faith. It doesn't mean like some of you had to learn you got to go on the beach and witness to people. Bringing them to Christ, but nobody's church. That ain't what it's about. It's not about having to go and know it on Friday night. Y'all heard about Jesus? No, that ain't what it's about only. It could be, but that's not what we're talking about. And as we go through Acts, we'll talk about the nuanced ways of sharing your faith. But hear this. Some of you don't know how alive your faith is because you have yet to be willing to walk in death for it. To be marginalized by others. To be called a little crazy. But these miracles happen just from these people, these apostles, walking in their faith. Just walking in the shadow cast on them, right? That the gospel just sort of, people who carry the gospel just sort of walk through life and the church just lives in this world. And as it's in, you know, close in this world, stuff begins to happen. What are we talking about walking? We're simply talking about walking with a hunger and obedience to Jesus Christ. I've seen more miracles at this church and expect to see more. And the elders, we had a good session meeting. Get this now. All right, all right. Not being sophisticated. Sophisticated, right? Sophisticated. You know how we are sophisticated. I'm sophisticated. I say the long words. But simply giving people the word of God and praying for them? People's lives are turning around because you sort of take the jump off. 
where all you learned in cemetery, I'm sorry, seminary, you just begin to jump off in it. That what those professors were teaching in seminary, these were men who were believers. And sometimes you take it and you just sort of make it too mental. And then it just becomes convenient. We must take the jump. Dare I say it? A leap of faith. Because it will feel like death to your schedule and to your complacent and cush lives. It will make you afraid that you will get lost in church world and being too much of a Jesus freak. For those of you who have been burned out by the Christian and Christian ministry and Christian organizations thing in the past, yes, it will feel like you're going back into it. You will fear that thing happening again. Time to get going again, y'all. Time to jump off again. Get to community group. Simple. Jump off. Get up. Get the baby dressed. They ain't that sick. You're just afraid. Join the church. Come to Christ. Call and get prayer from your elders. Go meet the neighbor. Invite them over. Take a snack. Or one day uh, to to church. Bring them around. Go to learning community, y'all. You can't see your faith and fail to experience the power of the Holy Spirit because you are not walking in the living death of Jesus Christ. And when you do, I warn you. I warn you. Like I said before, kaboom. Something is going to blow up or blow in or blow down. Watch the Lord. The Holy Spirit's power opens prisons and heals sick people around us mentally and socially and physically and economically. This stuff is for real because it is connected to a living and real Savior, and he is alive. This Easter, we can take hope in the message and mission of Jesus Christ Because the majesty of Jesus lives beyond death. Look at chapter 5, verses 27 again. I'm going to go to verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And then look at chapter 7 with Stephen, what he said, verse 54, as he is being stoned. Now when they heard these things of people, they were enraged and they ground their teeth in him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Sitting at the right hand because he's the king. Stephen is about to be stoned and he lets them know that he has seen what Peter and John have declared, that the Son of Man is alive. 
that Jesus is alive and not just sitting in place, but in Stephen's death, standing at the right hand of God, which means he is ruling over this event. And for those stoning him, that Jesus is judging and watching and keeping an account of all those doing wrong. He is judge and ruler. He is king, kinging and lording over the lives. And in this case, the death of his people who live and die as his. Now, but going back to what Gamaliel said, he says, leave these men alone. Because if they are preaching about a risen Lord and Savior, you will not be able to stop them. And we will find ourselves opposing God himself. It was loud and clear to the crowds and the critical religious leaders, and should be to us, that Jesus is God our king. That he lives beyond the death blows, our sin, and the sinful opposition that God's love gave him. He rose from the grave. And yes, there were some of the religious leaders that would not deny the ability for God to raise someone from the dead, but this was no regular resurrection if there was such a thing. This was no ordinary getting up from the grave. Let, let me tell you, in walking and living, Jesus' resurrection was about getting up to attend his inauguration, to get up to attend his coronation, to rise up to attend his crowning as Savior and leader and Lord and King and Savior. That is why when they heard this, they wanted to kill Peter and John and kill Stephen. Because they were saying, Jesus, the one you crucified, rose and rules as King. You tried to kill a man. But you simply help usher the Son of Man to his throne in heaven. And that scared those who opposed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say this. If you're an unbeliever today, or even a believer living in disobedience, stubborn opposition, or apathy toward Jesus, understand this. You're not opposing me. You're not standing in opposition to the church. I don't like church, you know, a lot of that. You're not standing in opposition to tradition or conservatism. You're not opposing an idea that you disagree with. You are not outsmarting or out-philosophizing or out-thinking or being sophisticated or cutting edge about this thing. Man, who are you playing with? You're playing yourself because this is no game. Because if you and I fail to believe in and submit to the Lord Jesus, we oppose God himself. We are living against and opposed to the king of kings, against the king, against the one who made you and gives you every breath you take and allows you to make every move you make, even if you use that breath and moves to oppose him. He is still the king that you're opposed to. And no, Jesus, as we saw him stand at Stephen's stoning, is not letting those stoning him slide. He is not playing philosophical head games with you and me. Jesus isn't jostling for your affection. No, Jesus, God lives in the seas and takes your opposition to his love and his gospel and his church personally. And Easter is a wake-up call, literally, to see the Lord is alive and he sees you, man. Hey, looking at what's going on, it is time to bend our hearts and bend our knees and our mouths to worship him, to stop fighting the Lord's rule over all things and finally rest yourself, man. 
to be overcome, to be defeated, to be taken over by the risen and living king for the good of your own opposing soul. But in closing, it means this. That if you're trusting him and hanging in the balance and being ridiculed, even inside by your own voice, if you're out there suffering in the world as a son or daughter, that you push against the wall of this world's pain and it pushes back against you, when you can't just make ends meet, you can't just, you can't get it all together. The Lord is not just sitting around. He stands up for you. Simply put, Jesus died for the sin of his people, but he lives for the lies of his people. Which means the living Jesus always got your back. The king of heaven and earth is is with you and alive and looking over all things that happen to you, don't happen to you because he is alive. He is ruling over you and all things. He got you. So call on him. Go to him. Like Stephen, lift your eyes up to your king and lift your prayers as well. Lord Jesus, you are alive. Help me. Like we sung about 50 times last week. He's able. He's able. Because he's alive and active to have your back even in death. Stephen said something interesting. As he was being stoned, he said, Lord, receive my spirit. And then the apostles in chapter 4 preach this. The Bible says, they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why did so many people come to faith after Peter and John were arrested and Stephen was stoned? Because a risen Savior means that he lives to return the dead. Get this now. Those who died believing in him to eternal life. And for those who don't have to face him in, who don't believe in him, have to face him in judgment. What is one of the core tenets of Christianity? The resurrection of Jesus, yes. But beyond and in that, the resurrection from the dead of all who believe in him, that the grave would not be it for you and me, that hell or some sort of second proving purgatory would would be not it for us, that, that we would just end up as plant food would not be true, and that we would have to face God one day with no surety of how we would stand before him. Resurrection from the grave was the real hope for all those who heard the gospel of a risen Savior that is promising to return one day to come back as a leader and free us from death and do what was intended to be, but that sin got in the way of. To have our perfected souls meet up with a perfect body under a perfect leader in a perfect world, this is the hope of the resurrection that all that troubled us and pained us and stole from us, yes, death itself would be left in the grave and that eternal life would take hold of us. Look, y'all, we can hoop and holler and shout all day about Jesus being risen 
And that is good. That's a good start. But it is better than that. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Not just he will resurrect, which means you and I will get up one day. He will break the sky open and give us a call. He will give us the same call he got on that first Easter morning to son, to daughter, get up, get up, meet me in the air, corrupted body, troubled and damaged minds and souls, mistake prone, guilty of much against me, condemnation will not have you. I will, sin will not have you. I will get up and come to me. Get up and be made whole. Get up and be glorified, right and good. Get up and leave this old, broken, and troubling world behind. When we celebrate Easter, we are not just celebrating a past historical event. No, we are doing a preview of the final Easter when we will rise up. Oh, that's the Easter morning I am wanting and looking forward to. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go when he comes back? We live and die today for the resurrection. We strive for it. We tell others for and about it. We saturate our hearts and minds about it. Easter ain't about the bunny or the eggs or just about the resurrected Savior. Your Easter is yet to come. When your Savior breaks the sky and calls you home for all eternity and you can say goodbye to sin you can say goodbye to corruption you can say goodbye to injustice you can say goodbye to fear and guilt and trouble and pain and you can say hello savior and to eternal life with him forever so we praise and turn to the lord jesus trust in his living death for us. It is the gospel. It is what Easter is about.